You were made to crave. You were made to crave, and so was I. We were made to crave relationships. Relationships with others. Relationship with God. There's just something in our DNA. There's just something in how we're hardwired. We crave relationships. And no matter how independent we are, no matter how introverted we might be, we all crave relationships of depth and love and purpose in our lives. And one's life could call, be called a, a failure if there is a lack of relationship with others and with God. We understand that the great commandment is to love God with our all and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. That can be so hard sometimes because relationships are often difficult, aren't they? They tax us. They test us. They can weigh us down. And while it's not in the Bible, a man is known by the company that he keeps. That's actually in Aesop's fables. The thought does seem to be true in a lot of ways. That our relationships can draw us closer to God and one another. Our relationships can cause us to drift from God and from the relationships we ought to have. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 12. And a very wise man set forth this passage before us to think about relationships and their value. The passage begins, Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 12, by saying, Two is better than one. If one falls, the other will be there to pick them up. The older I get, the more I appreciate that part of that verse. But the passage goes on. And it talks about how if a person has relationships, on the value of a relationship, there's warmth. There's warmth. When it can be so cold in life. He goes on to talk about that two individuals are more difficult to prevail against than one. And then this wise man tells us that a cord of three strands is not easily broken. The value of relationships, of considering how important our relationship with God and with other people really is. In Proverbs, the book of wisdom, in Proverbs, the 27th chapter, the writer would say that iron sharpens iron and so a person can sharpen another. We can really help each other in our relationships. 
we can be a great blessing to others and be blessed by others in our relationships, or we can be a detriment to the health, spiritually and physically, of others, can't we? And they to us. Did you hear Carl when he read Acts 7.22 a little while ago? Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was mighty in words and deeds. We're talking about a ten-talent man. We're talking about an amazingly gifted individual. Yet Moses would not have been the man he became if it were not for his relationships. Now think about that because the Lord himself who was perfect, sinless, God in the flesh, John 1, 14 through 18, when we think about Jesus, he still surrounded himself with people. And especially you think about the twelve. In Mark chapter 3 and verse 14, the word of God says about Jesus, and he chose the twelve whom he called apostles so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. The Lord himself, if ever there was anybody who was self-sufficient, still chose to relate to others. And obviously, he committed the gospel to their care to take to the world. Now think about Paul. Another guy who is amazingly gifted, much like Moses, I would say in many ways kind of a New Testament counterpart as far as a great man of God like Moses was in the old. And yet, with Paul we think of names like Timothy and Titus and Barnabas and Silas and Apollos and Aquila, and Priscilla, and many, many others. You see, he invested himself in his relationship with others because he had invested himself wholly in a relationship with God. Now we can see why the self-sufficient Savior, Jesus, would invest himself in others Because Jesus was wholly invested in doing the will of the Father. What I want to do is look at some mighty men. Probably the best known mighty men are David's mighty men. Maybe a number of you have heard about them. We read about them in 2 Samuel chapter 23 verses 8 through 39. Not a well-known portion of the Bible, but it's a great portion to think about. David's mighty men. 2 Samuel 23, 8 and following. 1 Chronicles chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. And you'll see men's names mentioned. And it's almost like we're looking at superheroes. 
But these were some of David's military men, maybe his special ops, as we might say nowadays. One of them's name was Jashabim. Jashabim. And the text says in the beginning of 2 Samuel 23 that he killed 800 men with a spear. That sounds almost superhuman, doesn't it? 800. That's some kind of fighting man. Then you read of Eliezer in 2 Samuel chapter 23. And think about this. It said that he was with David. David never forgot Eliezer and what he did. That he was with David against the Philistines when all of the rest of the Israelites ran away. Eliezer stayed. And he fought side by side with David. And it said that at the end of the day, with all of the struggle of the conflict, that his hand was glued to his sword. You can imagine heavy hand-to-hand combat going on for a prolonged period of time. And sometimes we'll say things like this, or we'll see slogans on the back, uh, uh, on the bumper of cars. You'll have to pry my bony fingers from something. As he was engaged side-by-side with God's king fighting the enemy... In the conflict, it's just as if his hand was welded, superglued to the sword. Others could be mentioned, but I want you to know this. Moses had some mighty men. We don't talk about them as much. But we ought to think about them because no one, no one in the kingdom of God gets anywhere without Establishing relationships. Because no matter how talented or gifted or independent and able you might be, it's the will of God that we should work with others and it's the will of God that we lean constantly on Him for His strength and grace. Amen? There is no I in team, and there is no I in body. We are the body of Christ. So let's consider Moses, and let's look at seven individuals that helped make Moses the man of God he was. And as we evaluate each one of them very briefly, and explain something about their interactions with David... I'm going to make one applicational thought regarding each one that I think will help us all surround ourselves with people who will make us better and for us to try to be the type of individual that will make another better in the eyes of God. Are you with me? Open your Bibles. Exodus chapter 18. Exodus 18, the character here, one of Moses' mighty men, would have to be Jethro. Jethro, 
Not a name used much nowadays, but Jethro was the father-in-law of Moses. And Jethro had come to see that Moses was leading God's people out of Egyptian bondage, and he was able to rejoice in all of this. He was out there in Midian, a faraway place. And yet he could rejoice in what God was doing through Moses. But when he got closer to the circumstances, he saw that Moses was spread really thin. Every day Moses was having to deal with disputes among the brethren and deal with making judgments and bringing people together, elders. He's having to deal with putting out little fires all the time. Any of you feel like you're putting out little fires all the time in your life? And Jethro says to Moses, his son-in-law, this is not good. Exodus 18, 14 and following. He sees the circumstances. Some people are really good diagnostics. They can diagnose the problem. Well, thank you very much. Moses probably could have said, You're right, Jethro. I am spread too thin. I am pulled in a lot of directions. I won't argue that with you. But notice what Jethro does. Jethro says, why don't you delegate and divide the people into thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens and appoint individuals who will be leaders of these people groups and that way they can report to you as as necessary and they could deal with the more day-to-day fires that seem to crop up in life. Here's the lesson to learn. We all need a relationship with someone who is a wise counselor. We all need a relationship with someone who will give us wise counsel, don't we? And in this case, you know, if you're a person like Moses and you are instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and you are mighty in words and deeds, you are an extremely talented person. You want to do a lot and sometimes you do too much, don't you? Sometimes we can do too much. Jethro's are needed. Mighty men like Jethro to give us good counsel and to help us to properly delegate and prioritize. Don't you imagine Moses was especially glad for that advice? Next. Another mighty man... Aaron, Aaron, when you think about Aaron, he is mentioned first, I believe, in about Exodus chapter 4, at least by name. Your brother Aaron is the good speaker. Remember what God says when Moses kind of offers an excuse? I don't talk very well. I don't talk too good. 
Aaron is appointed by God to work with Moses. Relationships, teams, togetherness. As gifted as anyone might be, others bring a lot of giftedness to the table too and talents. When you think about Aaron, he's no slouch. He ends up being the first high priest of the people of God, doesn't he? He's obviously a speaker. He's an administrator. He's obviously a family man. The ironic priesthood. We all need, listen, application, long-time supporters, even when they occasionally falter. Did Aaron make some blunders? How about the golden calf incident while Moses is up getting the law? Remember that one? That's probably the big mistake. But there were others. But there was no denying that Aaron loved God, loved God's people, loved the Lord's law, and that he loved his brother. So the application, we all need long-term supporters. Even if the person is a human being and sometimes flawed. Another one of Moses' mighty men. Look at Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. His name is Hur, H-U-R. H-U-R. And when you think about Hur, he's not mentioned a great deal in the Bible. I mean, it's not a very common name. But God's people are fighting against the Amalekites. The Amalekites, along with the Philistines, the Amalekites are really one of their early and most formidable enemies. And here is Moses, and as long as his hands are up in the air... Joshua and the forces of Israel are winning the fight against the Amalekites. As long as Moses is doing that. But you start to think about that. And you're not as young as you used to be. And holding your hands up in the air, expecting God's blessing and the help. What this was is Moses was the living picture of why Israel was going to win as long as he looked for God and his blessings. But holding your hands up like this for hours can be exhausting 
And when his hands dropped, the tide of the battle turned. You think God's sending a message about relationships? And what happens? What happens? Ryder, come up here. Come up here. Waylon, come up here. What happens when Moses' arms start to droop? Come on up. I'm serious. You never know what I'm going to do. That's what I was telling guys at Bear Valley last week. That's all right. We, don't try this at home. All right, guys, what's going on? Arms start to droop, Aaron and her. Because three Chords, a threefold cord is not easily broken. Helping someone keep their hands up ended up being a, an arms up, helped everybody's relationship with one another. And ultimately, our relationship with God. See? Here is the application. We all need encouragers who will hold our arms up to see God in His blessing and goodness. Isn't that right? And sometimes we're just drooping. But we need somebody that will hold our arms up so that we'll remember God and the victory can be won only through Him and His power. Next. As we continue looking at individual and upon individual, I'm going to give one that I know you've heard about. I've talked about him before. But he is kind of one of the unknowns of the Old Testament, sadly. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 31. Exodus 31, verses 2 through 5. I am talking about Bezalel, or Bezalel. It wasn't long ago in a series preached on the Holy Spirit and His person in work that I mentioned Bezalel, Bezalel. This passage tells us, Exodus 31, verses 2 through 5, that he was full of the Holy Spirit. But notice his giftedness in being full of the Holy Spirit by examining the passage specifically. He was a craftsman and an artist extraordinaire. He was an excellent craftsman and artist. He, Bezalel, is going to be one of the main cogs, one of the main individuals involved in the construction of the various elements that would be in the tabernacle. He would be involved in that. Application. We need others in our lives, in our lives, who are craftsmen and artists and who utilize their gifts to the glory of God. 
sometimes it's a craftsman. There are people in the Lord's church, male and female, who it's amazing what they can do by way of artistry and craftsmanship. And they use their gifts to the glory of God. I think of ladies here at Westside who for years have helped make uh, quilts or who have helped make Afghans. They're beautiful. These ladies are craftsmen. They are artists. How about guys who can fix anything? I smiled about several members of Westside through the years, and I said, if the zombie apocalypse ever occurs, I want to be somewhere near them because they can operate any kind of machinery and make anything. Every man or woman of God needs to associate themselves, needs to relate to others who are craftsmen and artists. I never cease to be amazed at how gifted our brethren really are. Next. Caleb. Caleb. And while Caleb is referred to several times in the Old Testament, Numbers 13 and 14 are specifically about the report of the twelve and how two spies, Joshua and Caleb, came back from spying out the promised land and they say basically this, it is a done deal. Let's go take it. God says it's ours. Let's go take it. And of course there is a backlash. Ten spies say it cannot be done. We're just wee little people compared to them. They're giants. And they saw the obstacles. You know, there's going to be plenty of people in life that are just like the ten who always see the obstacles, who always see the difficulties, and who will always try to shoot down what God says ought to be done. We don't remember those ten spies' names, and I'll tell you what, most of the time, people who invest their lives in trying to talk down what God says or saying it can't be done won't be remembered either. Think about that one. How will you be remembered? Will you and I be remembered for saying, let's go do what God has already promised that we can accomplish? And let's trust Him. Things got so bad in this particular point in history with Moses that the people were so upset that they thought of stoning Moses and they thought of stoning Joshua and Caleb because of what they said. Application. Every Christian needs someone in their life who will not be swayed from the promises of God, no matter what anybody else says, and no matter what anybody else thinks, and no matter what anybody else may threaten to do, you will not be swayed. 
And in Numbers chapter 14, God Himself speaks and all Israel is, is, is shuddering in fear. And one of the things He says in Numbers 14 is, Caleb is my servant. And he has a different spirit in him. Will we appreciate those in life who will not take for granted the promises and power of God? We can do what God says. We can do what God promises. Because we have his help. Two more. Joshua, Joshua, when you talk about Joshua, think about the long life and friendship and camaraderie Joshua had with Moses. We would call Joshua the right-hand man of Moses. Now, Aaron was great, and when Aaron died, they mourned him for 30 days, and he was Moses' brother. But when we look at Joshua, Joshua was the comrade and eventual successor of Moses. The comrade. Like my best friend. Like the person that I can talk to and turn to when everything seems to be against me. And throughout the ministry of Moses, Joshua comes to the forefront as one upon whom Moses could always depend. Doesn't that sound like Paul and Timothy? I have no man like-minded who's able to minister to your state. I'm going to send Timothy to you. Philippians 2, 19-24. When Moses died in Deuteronomy 34... They mourned him for 30 days, but the text says the people of Israel did all that Joshua the son of Nun commanded because there was no question that this man was God's man too. And appointed by God, God's man. In Joshua chapter 1, Moses is mentioned about ten times and he's dead. And yet his ghost, I guess we might say, in our language today, still looms large. It's big. But Joshua is working with people after the passing. And God tells Joshua, I will be with you just as I was with Moses. Don't you imagine Moses knew that? Don't you imagine Moses knew that God would be with Joshua just as he had been with him? Every one of us needs a best friend 
a best friend. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it is your father or your mom. Maybe it's a brother or sister in the flesh. But there's somebody out there that we all really need to think about as being our best friend in all things relating to life and most importantly relating to God. Do you think Moses made Joshua a better servant of God? And do you think that Joshua also encouraged Moses in the faithful service of God? Six down, one left. Jesus. Jesus. Why would you mention Jesus among the mighty men of Moses? I would mention Jesus among the mighty men because of Exodus 3 and verse 14. God appears to Moses and commissions him through the burning bush. And who is it that would be with him? Who shall I say sent me, Moses asked. And the response from the bush is what? I am. I am. And then you come to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. And repeatedly you see statements like, I am the bread of life, John 6, 35 through 51. Statements like, before Abraham was, I am, John 8, 58. I am the light of the world, John 8, verse 5. John 9, verses 5 and 6. John 8, verse 12. John 9, verses 5 and 6. The good shepherd, John 10, 11 through 18. I'm the good shepherd. Who was it who was with him? What did we talk about at the beginning? We were all made to crave relationships. A relationship with others that has meaning and purpose and love and value, but the ultimate relationship that has meaning and purpose and love and value is a relationship with God. Seventy-eight times in the Old Testament you read of an expression, man of God, man of God, man of God. It's used of 13 people in the Old Testament. Only of Moses in the first five books of the Bible. He was a man of God. He's a man of God, but he is a man of God serving God who will become man in John chapter 1. 14 through 18, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of God. How about Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 and following? Jesus, in the life of Moses, one's going to come after me who is greater than I. To him, people must hearken. You got to listen to him. 
You see, Moses was a servant of God. No one in the Old Testament is called the servant of God more than Moses. In the New Testament, the God who serves comes down. And he washes feet, and he goes to a cross, and he, though the king of glory, Psalm 24 verse 10, serves. Look at Deuteronomy 34 verse 10. As Moses would look back on his life, he could see how that God had kept all of his words. He was faithful to his promise. He's been present all this time with me. And in Deuteronomy 34 and verse 10, something is said about the relationship between God and Moses. Do you see it? See it, Adam? Go ahead and read it for everybody there in Deuteronomy 34.10. Y'all listen. Y'all listen. But since then there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Now you talk about a relationship with a human being. The text says that the Lord knew Moses face to face. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? That's awfully humbling, isn't it? To even think of the possibility. Now think of Jesus. The Lord knew Moses face to face. But in the New Testament, in the coming of Christ, we see what God looks like in the face of Christ. You want to know God? You can see Him. You can listen to Him. You can, you can feel what He is doing as He performs miracles back then. As He teaches and instructs and loves and serves and dies. Really? God knew Moses face to face, but I want to suggest that if you are in Christ, God knows you even more richly than that. Because you belong to Him. Application. We must thank God for every person who will encourage us in our relationship with others and with Him. But we must never forget, He is the one we want to know face to face. And we want to be known by Him too. The Lord knows them that are His, 2 Timothy 2.19 
Have you come to Him responding to His love and power and care for you? Have you come to Him in faith, repentance, confession, and baptism? Have you come to Him acknowledging that you believe in Him and put your trust in Him? That you want to turn from your sins and go His way? Have you come to Him acknowledging that He's the Son of God? Have you come to Him, Jesus, to be baptized so that His blood will wash your sins away. What a friend we have in Jesus. Let us stand and sing.